Last week, we were having some discussions on our leadership here with the leadership here of the church about some of the building issues that we have going on. And I have to just say up front, the discussion was relatively depressing. So we talked about the fact that we have uh, some chillers here that we use to cool the air and that those chillers are gonna be, need to be replaced this year, probably seven or eight years ahead of schedule, what we were planning to replace them. I think we were hoping to get 20 years out of them and it doesn't look like we're going to make it uh, that long. Turns out chillers are not that cheap. <clears throat> we also found out, or at least I found out, people here who know knew, uh, that some of our elevators are out of code and so they're coming due to be replaced. <clears throat> Those two also <clears throat> not cheap. <clears throat> uh, we're putting, we did redid the parking lot in the back at little section. Well, we found out that the codes have changed and so you have to, apparently you have to have trees in the middle of parking lots. And so the code is, is you've got to have more trees in the middle of the parking lot than we were expecting. And so you'll notice in the back, there are some islands there that trees are going to go into. And that uh, wasn't when we originally planned for that. We didn't know we had to do that. And so uh, when we found that out, of course, we're doing it. But there was some additional cost. And man, you know this. Everything is outrageously expensive. Everything is expensive. And so there was nothing when like, oh, good, this is not that bad. No, it was all the numbers that went with all of the things were sort of like, Lord have mercy. <laughs> and then to be honest, you know, the giving uh, at the church over the past uh, couple of months in the summer hadn't been that good. And so I kind of, we were talking about this on Tuesday, Tuesday evening, Tuesday afternoon. And so I was like, man, this is not good. So I set aside some time on Wednesday morning to be like, all right, Lord, like I need to spend some time. Are we doing something wrong? Like I need to hear from you what's going on here. <clears throat> and so uh, I got up Wednesday morning and uh, had kind of cleared my schedule to spend the time just praying. And as of course only the Lord can do. My passage that morning happened to be 2 Kings 22. <clears throat> so I began dutifully reading my passage and then I got to the point, 2 Kings 22 is about a king named Josiah who if you're familiar with Josiah, lots of people know that he became a king at a young age, but that wasn't what stuck out to me. Something hit me from the passage as I was reading and it said in his 18th year. I'm like, well, this is my 18th year of being the senior pastor of Calvary Church. And so immediately I was like, okay, Lord, you have my attention. It feels like I'm not in this passage by accident. And so I read about the fact that God provided plenty of money to fix and repair the temple. This is 2 Kings 22. <clears throat> and so I'm reading it. And of course, at one point, this is just me being honest with you, sort of human thinking. I'm like, our chillers went out like eight years early. Like, who do we sue? Like, is there not a warranty? Like, how do we get like, <clears throat> you know, this happens to you at home, right? When stuff breaks, you're like, Argh. so I've got all these sort of plans. Like, well, why are we doing the parking lot when we, if we have to pay for these chillers and all this stuff? And in the passage, it says, uh, don't worry about the money. You can trust the men who it's been given to to do the right thing. And God reminded me that Ken Minus, our operations committee, the people that work here, it's such a blessing. We have godly men who pray and women who pray and are engaged and involved. And the Lord's like, would you stop worrying about this? I've already put people in place who know what they're doing. Uh, there's plenty to take care of that. Okay, Lord, thank you. And then came the part that was a little more, it was good, but it felt like a bit of a gut punch. 
where the Lord said to me, and I've got a question for you. He's like, 18 years. He's like, which of those 18 years did I not provide? <laughs> and so we went back, and we went sort of year by year. And I just was like, oh, yeah, building project, yep. That time when there was a bunch of people that were really angry and said they didn't want to give to the church anymore. Yep, Lord, you provided. Uh, the economic downturn, you know, 2008, the Lord provided. COVID, Lord, and it just went year after year, and he's like, which year did I fail to show up? And then he said, and you have a surplus from this past year. It's not huge, but I gave you more than you needed. It was a kindness of the Lord. You've had that sort of kindness when he calls you up short. And in te with tears in my eyes, I was like, Lord, you're right. What am I doing? You've always provided. And I couldn't think of one year that the Lord failed to show up. And so I just want to let you know, we've got money set aside to repair those chillers or to replace those chillers and to do those kinds of things. The stuff beyond that, the Lord will provide when the time comes for that. But the message he gave to me was, I will take care of it. And it's a message I want to share with you today. God provides. God provides for our physical needs. He takes care of building stuff. That's what he does. God provides for our emotional needs. I was feeling shaken, but the Lord provided. God provides for our spiritual needs. I had begun to doubt. And the Lord's like, when did I ever give you any reason to doubt? And I got to the end and I thought, man, Lord, you provide in every possible way. And so this morning, the message God has to you and to me is that he provides. Now, we're going to look in just a moment at the story called The Feeding of the 5,000. Kaya read it for us earlier. We're going to turn. Why don't we turn there now? If you have a Bible, turn in your Bibles to Matthew 14. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in front in the rack in front of you that looks like this. It's a church pew Bible. We don't have pews, but it's a rack Bible, whatever you call it. In those Bibles, Matthew 14 is page 796. We don't need to read the passage again because Kaya did a great job reading it to us. But when you think about God's provision, this is really the perfect story to do it from for a couple of reasons. One... It's a story about God providing, so it's a really great story to think about how God does provide. But there's a second reason why this is a good story to think about how God provides. I feel it from my end. You might not feel it as much, but let me tell you why. The feeding of the 5,000 is one of the few stories that shows up in every gospel. It's in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There's a parallel story, which is very similar, where Jesus feeds 4,000. That shows up in Matthew and Mark. And so this story shows up six times, essentially, in the Bible. Now, you may not feel this as much, but for me, it's time to try to say something about a story that's super well-known, that's very common. We talk about it in children's ministry and in youth ministry and adult ministries and senior adult ministries. If you've been around Christianity for a while, you're familiar with the story of the feeding of the 5,000. And so for me, I'm like, well, Lord, what else is there to say about this story? And it turns out this is a good passage to talk about how God provides because not only is the passage about God providing, 
But God also provides every time we open his word and look at things, even if they're very familiar to us or repeated over and over again, God constantly provides something new for us in that. So what we're going to do today is two things. One, I'd like to show you how we can take a passage that perhaps you're familiar with or especially a passage that appears multiple times in the Bible and study it and look at it for something new that God might be saying. And so we're going to do that piece of it together. We're going to kind of pull back the curtain and I'm just going to show you. This is what I did on Monday as I was studying through this passage and praying through it. Because the hope is is that you too, as you read the Gospels on your own, are going to come across passages where you're like, I've heard that before already, or that shows somewhere else. How, when you come across a story like that, can you and I study it and get something out of that? And then secondly, what we're going to do is we want to hear the message of encouragement that God provides from this passage. So we begin with, okay, well, what do you do if you have a a, a story, a miracle, a, a passage that appears multiple times? How do you sort of look for something fresh and new in it? And let me show you a technique that you're probably familiar with in another area of life, and we're going to apply it to the scriptures. How many of you have seen a drawing or a a, a sketch, something like this, where you get two pictures right next to each other that look very, very similar, and you're supposed to go through and find the differences? Yep. So like you might notice. At first, they look like the exact same picture, and then you're like, oh, the duck jumping in the puddles got like gray pants with black polka dots, and the one over here has green pants with lines, lines in the pants. We were going to circle all the differences, but we thought that would distract you. But yeah, you're used to this where you sort of say, okay, well, you just take two pictures that on the surface seem like they're the same, but then you notice there are a few differences between the two. Well, that's what we're going to do with the story of the feeding of the 5,000. It's just if you think about it, instead of visual pictures, there are sort of verbal pictures here. So if you put up our passages for you, What we've done here is, of course, you can do this at home. I know you can't read it all, but trust me, we'll make the parts you need readable in just a minute. But there's Matthew's version, Mark's version, Luke's version, and John's version, all the same story. And at first glance, you might think, oh, the same story told exactly the same four different ways. But upon closer examination, we're going to find that there's some things that are noteworthy that are different between the stories. So we're doing this together because I had the same feeling when I got to the feeding of the 5,000. I'm like, well, I already preached this when we were in Mark, and I preached it before when we were in Luke, and maybe you've heard it many different times. What can we say fresh or new about this? Well, what you can do at home is the same thing I did on Monday, is you can just kind of flip between Matthew and Mark and Matthew and Luke and Matthew and John and kind of look at look for the differences. We're just going to do that together this morning. And there are multiple differences between Matthew's version and the other three, but I'm only going to point out five that are noteworthy as we go through this. And we're just doing Matthew's because that's the message God has for us is from Matthew. So first, if you were to examine Matthew and compare it to the other two, When you start with the beginning of the story, Matthew starts this way. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Mark begins, so they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. Luke has, then he took them with him and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. 
And then John starts with sometime after this. So Matthew is the only one who ties the feeding of the 5,000 to something Jesus heard happening before. He's the only one that does that. Number two, it says that as Jesus goes to a solitary place, Matthew says the crowds heard that he was going to a place and so they run there to meet him. So he thinks he's going there to get away from people, um, but people end up finding out where he's at. They hear where he is and they go there. But Mark says many of them saw them leaving, but many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns. Luke has, but the crowds learned about it and followed him. And John says a great crowd of people followed him. So now these stories are not contradictory. It's just if you asked four different people to tell you a story, you're going to get four different sort of takes on the event. But in Matthew's version, he seems to be emphasizing the fact that the crowds heard this about Jesus. So we just sort of take note of that. Third sort of noteworthy thing that Matthew has different than the other three it says, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Mark says, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Luke says, he welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God. So he did some teaching and healed those who needed healing. So most likely Jesus both taught and healed, but the noteworthy thing in Matthew's gospel is Matthew's only focused on the healing part. For Matthew, what is important is that Jesus showed up, sees a great crowd of people, and starts healing them. Number four, and this one's, a, if you haven't caught the point up to this point, is I've kind of capitalized. I've, Jackie Rice, who did all of this, she capitalized everything where the difference is. This fourth one, there wasn't anything to capitalize because Matthew is missing something that the others have. So look at this with me. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. And the question is, what happened to the fish? Matthew seems to have ignored the fish, and we know that when we compare it to the other ones. Mark says, taking the five loaves and two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. The way Luke writes it, he talks about both the bread and the fish and the idea that Jesus breaks all of them and distributes them. And John mentions the fish as well. So Matthew is focused on the bread and really says nothing about the fact that there were two fish. So that's a kind of the fourth noteworthy difference between the two. And then number five, Matthew ends this way. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men, and he adds, besides women and children. Mark doesn't have that. He just says 5,000. Luke says 5,000. John, 5,000. Matthew adds this phrase, besides women and children. So, when you're trying to figure out, okay, well, this story shows up multiple times, is God just saying the same thing over and over again? 
Now, if you look carefully, there's some differences. And so now we're ready to sort of hear, what is it that God wants to say to us this morning from this story in Matthew's gospel? Well, the big point is that God provides. And what's true, we're going to look at some uniqueness of what Matthew does in just a moment, but what's true for Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is that God provides for our physical needs. There are 5,000 plus people who are hungry and they need food. And Jesus provides it for them. The same is true for you and I. We have physical needs. We have needs in this building. We need to be able to cool the air. We need to have elevators to help people get from the first floor to the second floor. We have needs to be able to follow the codes in the parking lot. You have needs as well. You have needs to pay for grocery bills that seem to be skyrocketing out of control. Maybe you have college debt. Maybe you have need for housing. We have physical needs, food, clothing, shelter, companionship. The Lord provides. That's what he does. He provides for our physical needs. Now you may say, well, yeah, but I've never seen sort of like a little bit of food multiplied in enough for 5,000 people. Fair enough. But you know what's interesting about this story? I'm not sure that the 5,000 plus people know that a miracle has happened. I don't think Jesus got up in front of everybody and said, excuse me, can I have your attention? We've only got five loaves and two fish. But hold on a second, watch this. Voila, here's a bunch of food. And everyone stands up and gives them a standing ovation. I don't think that's what happened. I think, I think they're having a conference on the side. and like, where are we going to get food to feed all these people? Oh, we got five loaves and two fish. And then Jesus starts producing the food. And so I think the people who are there are just eating food. It's kind of like if you come here on a Wednesday night. There is a miracle that's happening in the back. We don't know it, but the food just shows up. But if you see anybody in the back, they're stressed out like it's a miracle. Like, we need help. So it is with the Lord. When he provides for us, sometimes it is miraculous and sometimes it's just a paycheck. But it's still in providing. And so don't miss the fact that Jesus provides all our needs. He takes care of all of our stuff that we need. And so that's the point that all four gospels are making. But there's a couple of other things that Matthew is saying about how God provides that I don't think Mark and Luke and John are emphasizing as much. And so God has a unique message for us today because God not only provides for our physical needs, he provides for our emotional needs. And to do this, we need to see how God the Father provides something for Jesus in this story. Now, you might not think that the feeding of the 5,000 is about Jesus at all, except to show that he's got these amazing powers because he is both human and divine. But I think in the way Matthew has told this story with some of the uniquenesses of what Matthew is doing, you begin to see that God the Father is doing something for Jesus. What do I mean? Remember when we said Matthew is the only one that starts with when Jesus heard what had happened? Matthew is tying the feeding of the 5,000 to something Jesus heard that came before. Well, what is it that came before? Well, the story we looked at last week, which is earlier in Matthew 14, the first part is about the beheading of John the Baptist. Now, we gotta be careful here because the way, well, I said this last week, when Matthew tells the story in Matthew 14, the beheading of John the Baptist is a flashback. 
So Jesus is not hearing for the first time that John is dead. So he's not going away trying to deal with his grief. John has died in the past and Jesus knows that. What has happened is, is Herod is now saying that Jesus must be John the Baptist raised from the dead. That's what Jesus hears. And it brings him back to the death of John the Baptist. And so what is going through Jesus' mind? Why does he want to go away to a solitary place? Well, he's being reminded, well, that his cousin was beheaded. But more than that, that this very godly, humble man was executed. This person who, I think there were probably very few people who truly understood something of what Jesus was going through. And I think John the Baptist was one of them. Now he's gone. And so I think this is a reminder to Jesus of a great loss of a cousin, a friend, a co-worker, a fellow laborer in the kingdom. I also think it's probably a reminder to Jesus of what he's going to go through. Remember, Herod is saying that Jesus is John the Baptist raised from the dead. That's going to make Jesus think about his own death that's coming. Why was John the Baptist put to death? Well, because Herod was a people pleaser. Why will Jesus be put to death? Because Pilate will want to please people. In John the Baptist's case, it's this little girl, Salome, who wants to please her mother and so asks for the head of John the Baptist. In Jesus' case, it will be the crowds wanting to please the Jewish leaders who will ask Pilate for Jesus to be crucified. No other death in the gospel foreshadows Jesus's the way that John the Baptist's does. So when Jesus hears what is going on, he's both reminded of the grief at the death of John and also reminded his own death is coming. And Jesus knows he was not allowed to go rescue John out of prison and there will be no one to rescue Jesus when he comes to the cross. But look what God the Father does for him. Remember the second difference? That the crowds heard where Jesus was? They're all saying the same thing. Mark says they saw where he was going. Luke says they learned it. But Matthew chooses the word heard. I think what's important about that, in order for something to be heard... Somebody has to do what? Say something. Who has told the crowds where Jesus is? I think it's the Holy Spirit. I think God the Father has summoned the crowds to be where Jesus is going to be because God the Father knows Jesus is going to be going through a very emotional, a very weighty, a very fraught sort of time. And so he has crowds there when Jesus gets there. And what does Jesus do? Matthew emphasizes, yes, there's teaching, but Matthew says, let's not talk about the teaching. What does Jesus do for these crowds? He heals them. He sees them and has compassion on them, and he heals them. What is God the Father doing? Well, one more piece. Remember, there was a fourth distinctive that Matthew had. Remember, where are the fish? Matthew is only focused on the bread. And when you hear, he took bread, giving thanks, he broke it, 
and gave it to people, what does that make you think of? Communion, the Last Supper. This is why Matthew's, there's no fish at the Last Supper. That's why Matthew's just ignoring, there are clearly fish in this story, but Matthew's ignoring that part. Because what God the Father is doing for Jesus is he is reminding him that his suffering that is coming will be worth it. That Jesus will be able to heal us, the whole world, permanently and eternally because of what he will go through at the cross. At this moment, as Jesus is thinking through his own suffering, the fact that he is going to be abandoned and forsaken at the cross, the fact that he is going to be given way to people-pleasing and he is going to be wrongly executed, at this moment, God the Father provides for Jesus' emotional needs by reminding him it will be worth it. That's why I don't think he's focused on the teaching because you can teach without a crucifixion. But you can't ultimately heal people without what Jesus is going to do on the cross. So not only does God provide for our physical needs, he sees your emotional needs and my emotional needs. He sees the fact that we're shaken. He sees the fact that we have suffering in the middle of our life and we think, am I doing something wrong? Why is this going so badly? And wherever you are today, God knows what you need is encouragement that you are not suffering in vain. That God will take what you are going through and he will make something of it. Jesus, who is fully human, has the same struggles we have. He understands the fact that righteous suffering is hard. And so God the Father provides for Jesus just what he needs in the midst of his emotional needs. There's one more way in which God provides. He provides for our physical needs. He provides for our emotional needs. And then there is a provision in here for spiritual needs. And with this, we have the disciples in mind. So for the physical needs, it were the crowds. For the emotional needs, it's Jesus. For the spiritual needs, it's the 12 disciples. In verse 16... They're they're reporting to Jesus, these people need some food, send them away to get food. Jesus replies, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. Where are they going to get enough food for 5,000 plus people? It's late at night. They're in this little village. There's not enough food in the village for everybody. Jesus knows they can't provide the food. What is he doing? Well, he's reminding them that they're in a situation that they can't take care of on their own. He's not actually wanting them to provide food. They can't. He's wanting them to realize that they can't provide food. You see, what God the Father is doing for Jesus, Jesus is doing for his disciples. God the Father is putting Jesus into a situation where he can see that what is going on is a blessing from God. Jesus is putting his disciples into the same situation to be able to see, look, you can't provide the food, but it will be provided. Why? Do you remember the last difference how Matthew ends his story? The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men. And then he adds, besides women and children. You see, at the end of Matthew's gospel, these same 12 disciples are going to be asked to do something far more impossible than this. 
they're gonna be asked to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything that God has commanded, baptizing them and teaching them. How in the world are these 12 people ever gonna do that? Now remember, does anybody know how many baskets full of food there was left over at the end? 12. How many disciples are there? 12. This is an object lesson for these disciples that when they find themselves in a situation where they cannot possibly do what is being asked of them, that in that situation, God will provide. That's why at the end of the book of Matthew, the last line is Jesus says, I am with you to the very end of the age. Their spiritual need is, is they don't have enough faith to do what's going to be asked of them. And so God is providing for them even the faith that they need. And this is what he does for us. I told you last week, like thinking about all the money stuff, the finances stuff, you're probably in a similar situation where you're like, Lord have mercy. And God's brought you here this morning to remind you, I will provide. I promise you I'll provide. Never once have I failed you. It may not come when you expect. It may not come how you expect. But I will provide for your physical needs. If it's housing, I will provide housing. I don't know how you can find houses in this market. I don't know how to get apartments that are reasonable. I don't know where affordable housing is. But God says I will provide. I got the same problems you got trying to pay for bills at the grocery store. I will provide. And yes, I can't quite figure out how it's going to work six months from now, a year from now, but Jesus says, look, I will provide. I love you. I will not abandon you in the middle of all this. It's not economy. It's not inflation. It's not price gouging. Jesus says, I'll take care of it. He also says, hey, look, what you're going through now, this is not in vain. The health crisis you're experiencing, the trouble with just getting older, having to let go of a child, getting married, having to go through uh, the loss of a loved one, this trouble you're having at school, feeling lonely. God says, look, I will use this suffering for your good. What you go through, I will turn around and bring blessing through that. You will not be alone. Emotionally, you are not wasting your time. You are not wasting your life. Jesus provides. And then finally, you may have something that you're facing that you think, there is no way I got the resources to do this. I don't got the strength for this. I don't have the intelligence for this. I don't have the giftedness for this. I don't have the time for this. I don't have the emotional stability for this. I cannot do this. To which God brought you here this morning to say, I know you can't, but I can. And I put you into this situation and asked you to do something there is no way you can do so that I can do it for you. This is the message from God to us today. I know it seems hopeless. I know you think I've forgotten you. I know you think that you're just going to go through this all by yourself. 
but I promise you, I will provide everything you need. I'll provide for you physically. I'll provide for you emotionally. I'll provide for you spiritually. Anything you need, I will be there for you. Let's pray together. Lord, I already confess my sins publicly. Uh, Lord, uh, you are gracious to a God to forgive. Forgive my doubts and worries and stress about the future. Lord, never once have you abandoned us in 18 years. Every year, year after year, every month, month after month, every week, week after week, every day, day after day, Lord, you have provided. We are not here because of good planning. We're not here because of healthy reserves. We're not here because we, we managed all of this well. We're here because you're a God who provides. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters. They're struggling in this economy. We're struggling in this world that is full with darkness and, and difficulty. We're struggling with spiritual warfare. We're struggling with situations outside our control. God, provide for us in every way that we need Lord, give us faith. Forgive our unbelief. Lord, thank you for reminding us today that everything we need, you will provide. You've told us to seek first your kingdom and all the rest will be taken care of. You've told us not to worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough worries of its own. And so Jesus, we ask for your help and we stop to say thank you. Thank you for being the God who provides everything we need. Amen.